And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. So let us take a moment as we enjoy being in the face of God to enjoy one another's face. So look into one another's face and greet each other. So it helps when we do the announcements to have this little page called Connections because we want you to make some connections. By the way, that's primarily about connecting with real people. If you make some other connections, that's up to you. But we do want you to connect with some people, okay? We're glad that you are in worship today at Laguna Presbyterian Church. We welcome you. If you are guest, God help you. I mean, welcome here. We are glad that you're here. And we hope that you, as looking connections, will notice the following announcements. The upcoming town meeting for this Saturday has been postponed. And uh, the simple explanation is we are just running out of preparation time to make that worth your while, so we're going to postpone until after Easter, and uh, we'll get back together again and talk about where we're at as a congregation on the search process. And then as you turn inside, you will notice that there is a home visitation ministry launching event today, and we encourage you to participate that at 11.15 if you want to participate in home visitation. And then you have an opportunity, along with the rest of the congregation, to support Easter by having Easter lilies uh, put up here in the name of somebody you love. We encourage you to share in that. And then the upcoming, this upcoming Friday, April the 12th, is a Friday fellowship and it is um, going to be with some guest musicians, which I understand are delightful, not only to know, but to listen to. Well, we're glad that you're in worship today. Let us pray. You are the God of Abraham. From ancient times, you are the creator of the world, the beautiful place in which we live. So help us to be in your presence as Abraham lived in your presence and to trust you with our lives, and to worship you through Jesus, your Son, your only Son. It is in Jesus' name that we offer ourselves. Amen.
Please join me now in the morning's call to worship. Lent is a time to ponder God's providence and persistent mercy, his grace and love. We live, we live our, our lives in seasons of transition and transformation. We journey with God through the wilderness of the season of Lent, where we find ourselves hungry and thirsty for the living water God alone offers. Deep calls to deep. Come, you who are thirsty, drink deeply from the river of life. Come, you who are poor and hungry, feast at God's table. Come, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on the Lord while he is near. O Lord, your steadfast love is better than life. Our lips will praise you. We will bless you as long as we live. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of his love for us, the triumphs of his grace. Let's sing together. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Sinners' ears, tears of life and love. And 
Psalm 77, we will remember. We will remember the works of your hands, O oh Lord. sing the Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. Sing together, Kyrie. Kyrie eleison, have mercy, Christ eleison, have mercy, Kyrie
Forgiving God, we confess that we have grown complacent in our response to you. You set before us a rich feast of blessing, but we are drawn to lesser things that cannot satisfy. You call us to attend to urgent needs in the world, but we indulge our own desires. We confess that our ways are not your ways, our thoughts are not your thoughts. Forgive us when we fall short of your call to walk in the ways of Christ. Disturb our complacency and quicken our desire to grow up into the fullness of Christ. Now take a moment for personal silent confession. Amen. God's love is sure and steadfast, always providing a way out, a way through, a way back to God. Through the waters of baptism, we have died with Christ and are raised with him to new life. With gratitude and by faith, we walk in the way of Christ.
familiar to you, the music is on the music insert in the back. chapter 3, the first 10 verses. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has hypnotized you? Who has given you the evil eye? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If it was really for nothing. Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by doing the works of the law or by your belief or trust in what you've heard? Just as Abraham believed, trusted God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So you see, those who believe, those who trust are the descendants of Abraham. 
And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith or trust, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believe or trust are blessed with Abraham, who first believed. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. The word of the Lord. All of Paul's writings have hints of apocalyptic literature. Paul uses the word apocalypse as a way to catch the attention of the Galatians in the first chapter. It's translated Revelation. Our book in the Bible called Revelation is the book Apocalypse. When we think of the word apocalypse, we think of all hell breaking forth. It is a confrontation, an ultimate confrontation between good and evil. When Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, It was an apocalyptic moment for Paul. The goodness of Jesus was confronting the evil of Saul. He was destroying the church. He was killing people. He was throwing people in prison. He was doing what the law had instructed him to do, and he was a murderer. Paul, by firsthand experience, knows that the law is trouble. Now, when I use the word law today, I want you to know I'm not talking just about Judaistic tradition. I'm talking about any system that holds us captive to a pattern of life that keeps us from the fullness of trusting God and the fullness from trusting being trustworthy human beings. You see, deep down in our humanity is the seductive possibility that we like things and machines and systems more than we like trust. This apocalyptic message seems to be very well selected for today's spirit of the age. If you have been to the movies recently, you must have seen some apocalyptic film. They're literally out there by the dozens. Harry Potter, The Matrix, The Terminator, Star Wars, Star Trek, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Avengers, Captain Marvel. I watched recently the recent film called Infinity War, where the Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy get together to fight the great villain of the universe, Thanos. Thanos, by the way, means death. Is there any greater villain than death? It is an Armageddon moment. Ultimate, eternal reality is at stake. Full of enchantments and magicians and villains and spells and superheroes and machines and superpowers and aliens and artificial intelligence The question is, are we going to trust people or are we going to trust technology? 
By the way, there's nothing wrong with technology as long as it helps us to love humanity. When technology becomes a substitute for loving human beings, it's dangerous. Any system that becomes a substitute for loving human beings, for loving God, is dangerous. All of the panorama of history is wrapped up in the apocalyptic moment. Galatians uses this kind of language from the Apostle Paul. The present evil world is being confronted and will be delivered by Christ. He is amazed. He marvels at the foolishness of a people who have had miracles happen in their lives and they so quickly give up the miracles for the machine. But he keeps pointing out that the ultimate hero who laid down his life, who sacrificed everything for the goodness of humanity is the crucified Jesus. Isn't that the case with every apocalyptic film? There's some hero that gives his life for the good of humanity. That runs deep in our hunger. Who's going to have the guts to stand up to the machine, to the technology, to the system, and say, no, love is more important? Religion and politics, unfortunately, can become those machines. They can become those systems, those patterns of law that rather than lead us to God can control us and hold us captive. They can bewitch us. I know some Presbyterians that are absolutely bewitched by the book of order. That's a Presbyterian set of guidelines for how we should do the church. By the way, I'm not anti-book of order. But when the book of order interferes with knowing Jesus, it's a problem. When our politics interfere with knowing Jesus, it's a problem. When our religious system interfere with knowing Jesus, it's a problem. When the majesty of the greatness of what we create, like our architecture, our buildings, our interiors, keep us from being sensitive to the crying children off in the corner, that's a problem. There's a contrast and a conflict and a confrontation between the law and trust. Between the words that are put together, the words that are put together in a nice belief system that's nicely contained and codified and controllable that takes us away from a God who's not controllable. The movement of sin, our human movement to reject God and go with some substitute is a part of this split universe. And it's only God's love that comes to us that captures us in the midst of our enslavements like it did with the Apostle Paul. Jesus himself shows up and says to him in a relationship, Paul, Saul, why are you beating up on me? Stop it. Don't do it. That's about as personal as it gets. So right away, Saul understood 
that the law was a problem in his life and Jesus was the solution. Some of my best friends are lawyers. But I make them nervous when I say this. Without grace, the law is scary. Can you imagine the power of the U.S. Constitution unless we really believe in a loving God? I know I'm making some of you nervous. But I want you to understand I'm not anti-law. But I'm anti any time any system blocks our ability and our relationship in the powerful, deep presence of a God who loves us and our call to love those people around us. We cannot replace love with law. What Paul does in this text is in order to catch the imagination of the Galatians, he said, you know, many of you as Jewish people see your roots in Moses, and that's fine. That's when the law came through Moses. But he says, you know, there's an older Jewish tradition than Moses. It's Abraham. He was the original Jewish person. And Abraham didn't have a law. He didn't have a system. He didn't have a nicely confured structure of rules that you had to follow. All Abraham had was a mysterious wild God. And let me tell you, the wildness of God was what was leading Abraham a lot of the time. His first hearing from God was that God said, I want you to leave your nice environment, your hometown, and I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. I'm not going to tell you where you're going until you get there. How many of us would have that kind of trust in somebody we don't know? Let's fight this. We'd almost think a person who does that's a little on the edge or over the edge. It would be like leaving Laguna and all the wonderful reality of it is here and being led by God out into the Mojave Desert to find a nice spot. Now that's one wild God. And a little bit later in Abraham's life, when he finally has learned to trust God in more complete ways, he's waited for Dozens of years for the birth of his child, Isaac, and Isaac is born and is growing up, and God whispers in Abraham's ear and says, now Abraham, if you trust me, I want you to go up in the mountain and kill Isaac. Now, let's be practical here for a moment. If we had a neighbor or a friend or somebody in the church who said, God has asked me to kill my child, we would think they are nuts. Well, that's what the text wants us to think. Abraham is on the edge. He's literally potentially going over the edge. Can you imagine how Sarah felt about that? You heard what from God? You see, it wasn't a nice confined little space with all nice package and tidied rules. A nice system to follow. This is a wild God who Abraham has grown to trust. At the roots, what Paul is saying is, rather than believe a system, do you really believe in the wildness of a God you can trust? Wow, that's a risky thing. I grew up in a pattern of life that was called Pentecostal, and we actually believe God still did miracles in the world. 
Now, some Pentecostals said, well, we can produce those miracles if we do certain things. And so we got in kind of a little, little system of our own that said, if we do such and such, we pray such and such, we have the right words, zappo, God's going to heal somebody. Well, you can't control it, God, that way. But then I got into another system which said, you know, that whole era of miracles is over. God doesn't do miracles anymore. We're in a rational period of time. God doesn't lose his mind and do that wild stuff. And so we don't have miracles anymore. Now, some Presbyterians are over in that pack and some Presbyterians are over in the other. Sometimes the charismatics and the rationalists don't get along with each other. I'm not going to ask you to stand up if you're a charismatic or a rationalist. <laughs> it's a little bit like the Republicans and the Democrats trying to find common ground. But what Paul is saying is the Galatians have given up miracles for a bunch of rules. Now, which would you rather have in your life? A miracle or a rule? Rest the case. Paul says, if you trust God, that God is going to do amazing, unsuspecting, surprising things, and you're going to have unusual events in your life. And God's going to take you where you didn't know you were going. Like I never dreamed I'd be in Laguna Beach. God has all sorts of surprises. And so it is that this contrast between the law and trust is the Armageddon of our day. It's the Armageddon of the time that we've been in since Jesus was crucified and risen. There are ultimate prizes and issues at stake. And the ultimate battle is simply this. Do you trust God with your life? Do you trust in Jesus as your Lord? Do you trust in the powerful, wild Holy Spirit to guide you? Or do you trust in some system that you bought into to determine the rest of your life? And these systems can be any kind of system. They can be commercial systems, corporate systems, they can be religious systems. They can be philosophical systems. As I've mentioned recently, I've spent a lot of time with Korean people, Korean pastors, and they're caught in a system. It's called Confucianism. And Confucianism actually robs them of their trust in Christ because they're so much wrapped up in the need to obey Confucius. We in America have another problem. It's called individualism. The rights of the individual, all-encompassing. I'm going to exercise my rights, even if it kills other people. If rights don't have a basis of love and trust in a living God, rights are dangerous. Freedom is nothing without trust. And so we have really a very important decision to make as we live in this world. Do we live and rely upon some system that's been built? Or do we trust in the living God? That's as simple and as clear as it can be, and that's the purpose of the Galatian letters. Now today, we put the organ, we turned it around here. And uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but uh, the organist is facing the wall, the organist is looking into a mirror to see the conductor, the director of the choir. 
And you say, well, why did that happen? Well, we were just going to be obnoxious to you all watching it. <laughs> no. Did you know that underneath this ledge over here that our organist, Suk Young, cannot hear half of the organ play? The sound blows right by her. So we brought her out here so she could hear the instrument in full blast. How's it feel? It's a little scary for her to be out there. It's a little scary for us to be out there in the presence of God, isn't it? Because what happens when you get the full, the full force of God's presence? You know, sometimes we treat architecture as if the architecture controls our humanity. This sanctuary is a wonderful place, was rebuilt, beautiful. But if the sanctuary becomes more important than the people in it, it's dangerous. I know people who think that the reason why you buy chairs for a church is for the beauty of the chair. And I like to suggest to churches the reason why you buy chairs for the church is for the comfort of human beings. There's a difference. I have sat in many church chairs over the years, picked by some wonderful systems that think they understand the architecture of a good-looking chair. And my only question for them is, have you sat in it? Well, why would you want to do that? It looks good. I've actually had people say that to me. We're not getting chairs for people to sit in in the church. We're getting, people to, we're getting chairs for them to see what looks good. And I'm here to say, God help us. It's not a rocket science. Or maybe it is. We need to be not controlled by systems that we create that hold us captive, that rob us of our humanity and our love of God and our love of people. There's a great old movie that I'm sure many of you saw and can still remember. It was called The Dead Poet Society. Anybody remember The Dead Poet Society? You remember the contrast in the Dead Poet Society between the teacher who wanted to teach them about the romantic love and presence of poetry and lean in and grab the day, carpe diem. And what's the purpose of poetry in that pattern? You remember what he said? To woo women. Love. And there's that other teacher who said, now let's open our poetry books and let's start analyzing the poetic structure of each poem. <laughs> so what do you want to do? Woo women or study the structure of a poem? <laughs> and that's what Paul's saying. God's presence is the poetry. The law is the structure. Don't get lost in the structure so you miss the poetic reality of who God is. I had a composition teacher in college and in one, in another one in grad school. They both said the same thing. After teaching us all the rules, I studied rule after rule after rule of how to write good music in all sorts of traditions. And I was getting tired of learning all the rules. And finally, the composition teacher said, you know, I'm getting you to study and perfect the rules so that one day you'll break all of them and do good writing. Well, that's what Paul says about the law. God gives the law to be a discipline for us 
that one day we might actually get hold of the real thing, which is the presence of God himself. God help us. Not to give the people around us a bunch of rules and a system to live into, but give them love. Give them presence. Give them grace. Give them a sense that they can be trusted and that God is giving them the power to trust God. You have a choice. Rely upon the rules or the system or have faith, have trust in the living God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to enjoy all the structures and systems as they point to you and find fulfillment in you, but let us not become prisoners to them. And in love, help us to trust each other in new ways because we trust you. Not that we're perfect, but that we grow in our sense that you keep your promises to us. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Having heard the word of God proclaimed, let us now stand and affirm our faith. <clears throat> O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search, you search out, out my path and, and my lying down. down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. You may be seated. And let us pray. Lord, we thank you that from the beginning you set your love within us. Truly, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. In that process of our creation, you filled our hearts with the notes of that love and gave us the music of redemption, of promise, and of relationship with you. A relationship like no other that is full of mercy, love, and grace. As we come to you in this sacred moment, give us the strength to examine our lives and to make the risky changes that are needed, trusting in the good that you have for us. Give us the vision to see beyond ourselves so that we can feel connected in heart, mind, and soul to the promises that you have set before us in Christ our Lord, 
promises made long ago, promises that have never been broken. We thank you that you do not hide yourself from us, that day to day mercies pour forth in every breath that we take, that you journey with us even in the hardest of times where things can become foggy, where doubt and confusion surround us. Give us the courage to trust in you and in the promises made so that we might move beyond the distractions of our culture and the systems it throws our way. Fill us with hope and expectation as we seek the leading of your Holy Spirit. As you have created us in love, empower us to spread that love and the promises that come with it in all of our relationships with each other in this community and in our neighborhoods and in our world. As we go further and deeper into this trusting and eternal relationship, may the light that, and joy that comes from you encourage others in their journey along this way. And as we seek to orientate ourselves in our songs of redemption and promise, may we pray always the prayer you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. invite you now to give your morning tithes and offerings. So God changed Saul's name to Paul. And perhaps you have found your name changed as you follow Christ. I know I have. From the one who lived in a household of a father dying of cancer always thinking about death, God has changed my name to life, the one who gives life, joyful one. And I'm so thankful for that. So maybe as you hear this song this morning, you might recognize your name. Maybe it's your old name. And maybe listen for the new name that God is working in you and calling you into and growing you up more fully. Because that's what God is at work doing. All you souls, whose name will be Paul. Jesus said, I no longer call you servant. I now call you friend. It's an amazing thing. Lonely are 
so thankful for that name change. thank you, O God, that you have changed our name. And so we offer ourselves to you in response to that name change. And out of the abundance of your love, we offer these gifts to you. We pray that these talents will be used to spread the good news of your gracious love, that all people may find in Christ the abundant life you so freely have promised. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We close with this great him, tis so sweet. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him. so glad I learned 
We'd like to offer you a chance to pray with some of our servant leaders over in this part of the sanctuary toward the front. They will be here if you would like to have someone to be with you in prayer before our loving God. In the midst of the law, the Torah, the great blessing that has come to us from past generations is very focused on God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. It's not may the law bless you and keep you. It's not may the Republican or the Democratic Party bless you and keep you. It's not may Presbyterianism bless you and keep you. It's not may even the Bible bless you and keep you. It's the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you a great sense of shalom, blessing, that you might go and bless others. Amen. Amen.